When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie. Julian McKenzie of Zone Time fame. That's right, Zone Time if you haven't caught episode one of the new hockey property here at Yahoo Sports, Zone Time, please do. It's hosted by Julian and therefore much more stronger off the top than these podcasts tend to be. Tell you what, Julian, in a world where it's impossible to come up with names for things because every hockey pun under the sun has already been leveraged, it seems, to name something, whether it's an article or a video series or whatever or podcast. I think you guys nailed this one. Zone Time. I like it. I'm, I'm glad we did. Uh, to go behind the curtain a little bit, uh, I think one name that we were thinking of using was the Wraparound. And I don't know if you've seen the new Mighty Ducks TV series. In the debut episode, in one of the first lines of dialogue, like they have the like Mighty Ducks team like practicing and there are these two kids uh, who are sitting in the stands who are doing a podcast and they call it the Wraparound. So imagine we were this close uh, to sharing the name of a podcast found in a Mighty Ducks rebooted TV series. Uh, I mean, I think that sort of just proves the point. Like, there it is. It is scraping the bottom of the barrel of these things. That's why we have the very generic Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast on this on this uh, show here. <laughs> it works. It's very, it's very original. Um, but Zone Time's good. The, the, uh, in, more important than the name, the show and the content is very good as well. And Julian, you just spent the last week absorbing hockey knowledge from the sports writing machine that is The Athletic. So... Before we get into hockey topics, I need to know how bad your brain hurts right now. Yo, like, I this is my first weekend off in, like, at least over a year. I am enjoying that to the fullest because the knowledge is one thing. The editing is a whole other thing. But all the while, I have all these different story ideas that are just starting to pop up in my head. And I just need to kind of, like, lay back and just be, like, have them all stop, like, talking to me, like, you know, one by one. Just let everyone cool it for the weekend. Let's let's wait till Monday morning before I get back to the office. Well, I guess my home office in this case, and, and get back to work. But other than that, man, a lot of cool people uh, getting to know them at the Athletic. Uh, really thankful for the weekend. Really thankful to everyone who's been uh, sending me well wishes. It's a uh, really kind for everyone to do that, and I'm really looking forward to this to to working more with the Athletic and, and doing more zone time and and continuing to be on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast with you, good sir. I'm I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunities, man. Uh, I love how generic it is. It's just, it's it's perfect. It is perfect for this podcast. Uh, so a good first week for you and weekends off. That sounds tremendous, even though we're bugging you on a Sunday. Uh, You're not but again, bugging let's me get... at all, man. You're not bugging me at all. I know you say that, but it's it's work is work. And, and uh, I guess it's you only have Saturdays. Oh, 
dude, it's not work. We get to talk about like hockey every week and almost every episode we talk about how great each other is. Like it's not work at all. This is like the best. It's our uh, it's our weekly tire pumping, and it's fantastic for both of our years. Okay, let's get into topic one because uh, we'll save all that for the end of the show, as it's normally scheduled for. Uh, and I don't know if you edited a story that involved Tim Peel this week, but I think you probably would have because of how prevalent this theme was throughout the week. The fact that Tim Peel, Tim Peel was caught on a hot mic, basically admitting that he was looking to call the Nashville Predators, uh, call a penalty on the Nashville Predators, uh, whether it was to even up things, you know, serve an injustice that happened earlier in the game. So for some reason, he felt compelled to uh, basically execute an even up call or a makeup call or something along those lines. And that's something as hockey fans, we sort of understood for a very long time that makeup calls and even up calls happen uh, throughout this game. Because if you just look at, you know, the amount of penalties that you see in, in most games, it's, you know, the differential is usually one or zero or maybe two if things got really crazy on one side. Like, we, we sort of understand that referees are trying to do this. Uh, and that's why it's such a polarizing topic because Tim Peel got fired or dropped or basically told that he wasn't going to have his last few weeks uh, uh, on the job anymore because of... He was basically just carrying out a mandate. He verbalized what the mandate is for most NHL referees, or at least we assume the mandate is because of how the game has been traditionally called. So uh, I'll pose it to you simple. Was it fair or unfair that the NHL dropped Tim Peel for admitting that he executed a makeup call? I think it's fair, but I also think debating whether or not it is fair for Tim Peel is a bit besides the point. I think we, if the NHL is going to do this to Tim Peel, shouldn't the next step be for them that they need to figure out, they need to do some kind of restructuring with the referees in terms of the notion that they should be going about having these makeup calls and managing the game? Like, shouldn't it just be a situation where the rules are the rules and we follow them to the letter? I understand that they are there and in theory that should be the case, but as you mentioned it, all hockey fans know that referees do this to a certain extent. So if we're going to discipline team Tim Peel for, for what he did, the next step should be the league and the referees coming together and saying, hey, you know what? We need to change how the game is refereed. But what I've also noticed from a lot of people in, in hockey circles, and I'm kind of starting to agree with them too, like this might just be like an ideal theoretical thing that just might not happen. It just... The it's it's totally possible we're in a situation where the NHL says, "Hey, Tim Peel did what he did. Uh, fine, he was supposed to retire next month or whatever. But like, you know, we dealt with the problem. Let's let's go away from this. This is done." And and I think a lot of fans are just are, are kind of resigned to that because like, what else is there? Like, what else are they going to do? Like, like there's nothing that they could really do. Really, you're not going to go off to some other league. And like watch them be like, oh well, I'm tired of how games are refereed, or whatever. I remember feeling this way when when the NFL had the uh, the replacement refs for the few weeks, right? Because of the labor strife going on with them, we all still watched anyway. When it comes to these leagues that are in these high positions, like little stuff like that, that's not going to bother the NHL that much. So, I mean, I don't. In an ideal world, the league steps up and says, you know what, we need to change how the sport is refereed. We can't be in a situation where 
games are, are, are managed a certain way and, and refereed in a certain way and makeup calls are made here and there and some things are looked at and some things aren't looked at. Like, call the game to the letter, whether it's regular season, whether it's playoffs, whatever. If it's the rule, it's the rule. But I could also envision a situation where that doesn't happen. And I will preface that by saying, I also didn't think the NHL was going to do something to Tim Peel either. And they eventually did. They did it pretty quickly. So I guess that's one yeah. glimmer of optimism, but I could also see them just saying, you know what? We did enough. We did enough in the Tim Peel situation. Yeah. I'm a little reluctant to give the NHL too much credit here because I don't think, you know, I don't think if Tim Peel, you know, was caught on a mic that wasn't access to the public, but the NHL saw it, would they have reacted this way? I doubt it because this is all a PR spin, I think. And frankly, I think it's pretty harsh. Like the more I've thought about this, I like right when it happened, I'm like, wow, that can't happen. Like the, there's no way that they can let this guy continue to referee. But now that I'm thinking about it more and more, and I think, you know, the, the immediate reaction is like fire him. Like he doesn't deserve to be like, that's the Twitter reaction. Right. But when you actually mm -hmm. think about someone's life and, and I don't want to get too like, you know, philosophical or what or soft or whatever about this about this particular subject but like let's say you're working in the office you're carrying out you carry out your boss's mandate to a t and you accidentally send out a stray email which basically tells someone how the sausage is really made and that was a bit that was a mistake but you made a you know a, a mistake that you didn't mean to do and all you've done for the last 40 years, and I don't know how Tim Peel's been doing it, and I know Tim Peel's not you know, the model citizen in terms of NHL employee, but that one mistake, because you're carrying out the mandate that the NHL has put for you, or you at your office, the mandate that has been set out for you, and you basically get, you don't get your pension taken away, but you get your last two weeks taken away from you, or your last month taken away from you, and you get basically shamed in front of everyone for that reason. I feel like that's, in real world, I just don't think it's that fair, but I see why it had to happen, and I'm glad Elliot Freeman went to this point, because the first thing I thought about when they dropped him was, okay, this is the new gambling world. This is the NHL yeah. venturing into gambling, and everything has to be on the straight and narrow. Just the same day, the before, like six hours before uh, Tim Peel said that thing, or said the thing he said on a hot mic, the NHL was sitting in on a legislative meeting at the government of Canada talking about the legalization of single, single bet or single event sports betting. And they were getting grilled by members of parliament about the fact that they have to protect the integrity of the sport. Now, I don't think these two things are like immediately connected, like, oh, we just appeared on this. Now we have to react in this certain way, but they have to protect their brand. And when someone is basically admitting that games are being manipulated in a certain extent, that's the only way you can react to these things, I think. And the, I think the bigger conversation now has to be, okay, does gambling now change the way the NHL operates, the way referees officiate games? Because uh, if you truly want things to be equitable for bettors, gamblers, p the entire industry that's going to be involved in this, then you might have to change the way referees conduct themselves. And that might mean that we see five penalties to one big differentials when it term in terms of how the game is called and the referees that are, are, or the, uh, the, the penalties that are called because that's actually how the game should go in terms of flow. So I wonder if this is the first step towards the game changing in a bigger way, just because of the new realities that gambling does present. I think you bring up a really strong argument there. And if it 
if that's what it takes for for refereeing to be on the same page and for them to kind of understand you know what like you can't be a game manager and players can stop being frustrated over the refereeing and the nature of it then damn it like do it at this point because i i think it's ridiculous that we we look at all the we could point to so many other games from this season from season on from whatever where we look at a referee's call and we're like like what is this going on here why is this makeup call being done and i brought this up on twitter as well i still find it ridiculous that leagues like major league soccer which are not necessarily considered in the big four of sports and i think the nba does this as well there are other leagues out there where if a controversial call is made uh a pool reporter from among the media can provide a list of questions and at least question referees on what they did there is that option allotted to them and it is not there for the national hockey league there are so many things uh with regards to either players with referees or even media with referees or just referees in general with this league that need to be fixed and if i mean we all know how important the almighty dollar is if it gets to a point where you know gambling and the potential of that that's what has to force the nhl into making changes or at least talking to the referees union and saying, Hey, you guys need to shape it up here and, and, and talk to whoever's in charge of, of director officiating and, 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 and just kind of do a clean sweep here and restructure everything. So be it at this point, because I think players and fans and so many other people are just tired of the game being mismanaged by referees. And I understand it's a tough job for them. And I understand they might be going through a mandate that's, that's handed down to them by their boss. But at the end of the day, it's your job. And at the end of the day, if a referee essentially costs games because of their managing, that's going to create a whole other world of problems. It's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, in the event that the NHL does take on this new transparent reality, I mean, I I think it opens up the opportunity or the situation where they're like tacitly admitting all this guilt from the past, right? That they've Mm -hmm. always done this for years and decades and decades have been you know, manipulating the game so that it is quote unquote fair. And I think if this is going to happen, I feel like it has to be gradual for the NHL to actually successfully do this. But I I think we're going to be able to pick up on it. Like fans are smart. They're going to be able to pick up on any changes that are happening. uh, And it will be interesting to see how the NHL navigates this. I will say though, I don't think it's a league made problem. I actually think it's a player coach and executive made problem because for years and years and years, They've been saying in the media all the time, the referees shouldn't be deciding the game. They say it Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. You hear it every playoffs. You hear it when there's anything controversial going on. This is something that players, coaches, and executives have drilled into the heads of the league and the referees for years and generations, time and time and time again. And they're just, I believe, reacting to that. They... They have allowed basically the players and the coaches to shape the way the game is called over time after all these years. And that is how we got to this point. So it'll be interesting to see if something else, another force can disrupt that, that force being gambling. Yeah. I look at the end of the day, I'll reiterate again, restructural change. Restructural is not even really a word, actually. Structural change. uh, Whatever. Just, just do something referees. Something just has to be done. What shouldn't be done is covering your mic uh, on TV like Eric Furlat did in the Leafs and... Uh, oh, that's a ridiculous thing. I think oh it was Senators. God. That was just ridiculous. Like, you think oh you're smart. You, you think you're smart doing that, but you're on camera. And it, it, it you're basically... You could be saying nothing wrong, but you're presenting it as if you're saying something you that you shouldn't guilty. be saying, which is awful. But 
that's oh my that's another God. conversation for another time. Okay, first big trade, uh, really, in the lead up to the deadline, which is about two weeks away, maybe two weeks and change. Uh, Eric Stahl to the Montreal Canadiens. The Montreal Canadiens uh, in your home city of Montreal. Uh, so I got to ask you, why? Why did the Montreal Canadiens, who just said that they didn't want to acquire anyone or do anything, Mark Bergevin continues to lie to us. So why does he continue to lie to us? Why did they make this trade? And where does Eric Stahl play when now, but also in the best case scenario, if and when the Montreal Canadiens are fully healthy into the postseason? How does Eric Stahl fit and and why did this all come together? Justin, I've been telling people from every which way why the Montreal Canadiens had to make a move before the deadline. I've said it on the podcast. I've said it on different outlets. This team needs to make the playoffs. They started off hot. And they ended up in a situation where they weren't winning in as many games in February. They were in a situation where they had to do something. And Mark Bergevin has shown us before that he may say one thing to the media, but he will be working in the background trying to make something happen. And mm-hmm. specifically with the center position, they entered the year with, you know, three young centers and Phil Den- I mean, Phil Deneau's relatively young too. So they had a relatively young center depth uh, going into this season, and they realized it wasn't working as well as it should have. So now you bring in Eric Stahl, who a proven playoff veteran, Stanley Cup champion, a triple gold club member as well. So you have a team now that has him, Shea Weber, and 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 Corey Perry. I don't think no, I know Shea Weber's not a triple gold club member, but you're talking about established NHL players who would have been really good to have on a team in 2011. But in 2021, you're like, you know what? This is okay. All this to say you can't necessarily fault the veteran experience and, and star power that you have by having all three of those guys. And I think, I think Eric Stahl in terms of where he might fit evidently like a third or fourth line player. I think he's, even if he's not the fastest guy, he does make the bottom six a little slower. I think his veteran savvy, uh, what he's able to provide in the face off dot, he's been able to get some power play time as well. And, he's not that far off from that guy who, who tore it up in Minnesota and scored all those goals. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think this is a good acquisition for the Canadians, mostly because they gave up like two draft picks, uh, a third and a fifth, two rounds that the Canadians, I think have two other picks in each of those rounds. And they managed to get the Sabres to retain half of his salary. So you're getting Eric Stahl at under $2 million for essentially free. And mm-hmm. he's going to play either third or fourth line minutes uh, alongside of Corey Perry or, or, or Yoel Armia or other bottom six players. Like, I don't know. I, I don't hate this move. I, I think it depends on the player, obviously. I know some people will look at his stats in Buffalo and be like, oh, they're not that great. But newsflash for everyone, no one's been that great in Buffalo. Like, they've been losing for the better part of like a month, you know? So I, I think the Canadians did okay with this move. And they didn't have to give up that much for it. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think they gave up much. They've obviously accrued a lot of draft picks, and there's only so many draft picks that you can actually use in the end. Like, there's only so many contracts you can sign. Uh, yeah, you want a lottery tickets, and this is going to be quite a lottery situation when the draft does get underway this July, I believe. Um, but uh, you know, you know, at some point you got to use them, and they've set themselves up to try and make a run, and that's when you normally spend draft picks when you're preparing to go on a run. Uh, you're right, he's not going to break into the top six, you don't think. I mean, Phil Deneau and Nick Suzuki have those center positions, and then they've got their pretty well-defined top four, uh, you know, top six wingers. Um, so what happens then when Jesperi Kokkinemi comes back? Uh, does he slide back into that center hole on the third line? Or 
does Eric Stahl move over to the left wing? Because we know he does have some versatility. Or do we see Eric Stahl in the fourth line center position and just try to provide some plus value there? I think the fact that he can play wing does give the Montrealians that option to kind of put him on the side of Kakanyemi if need be. Uh, I, I, for most of this year, we've seen Kakanyemi play either like a second line role or a third line role. Uh, we've seen over the last few weeks, just some of those lines just being a bit jumbled. Uh, I would be stunned if, I think if anything, Stahl would probably make that change over to wing. I don't see the Canadians playing around with Jesperi Kakanyemi between center and wing anymore. I think he's established that he, uh, one is a center two. It's, it's better off for him in the long run for him to stay there. So whether it's on the second line or a third liner, he'll stay there. And if anything, you know, having Eric Stahl on the fourth line uh, at his cost for the Montreal Canadians and at the point in his career, I don't think it's a bad thing for him to be there, even if it means Jake Evans is going to have to sit out uh, and, and be yeah. on the taxi squad or just be a healthy scratch. Uh, I think he is a bit of an upgrade on him. So I think as long as he's in that bottom six, unless Eric Stahl all of a sudden drinks from the fountain of youth and plays like a 23-year-old, I think that's going to be a good role for him. Kind of similar to, to what we were seeing with Corey Perry with this team, uh, a player long past his prime who is not expected to provide the uh, talents that he provided in the prime of in the heyday of his career just kind of play him in a veteran role out back just to kind of mentor some of the younger players but also just chip in offensively whenever need be i i would imagine that's where eric stall is going to end up and just i think it's an ideal situation for him we need in the playoffs we need stall and perry versus thornton and simmons and spezza just on a head-to-head matchup throughout the whole series just as like an intriguing subplot uh yeah yeah you're right i think you said earlier that it's sort of hard to analyze this deal uh, or hard to analyze exactly what Stahl is going to bring. You mentioned him being a very productive player with the Minnesota Wild, but not a very effective player with the Buffalo Sabres. But, you know, who can be an effective player with the Buffalo Sabres? He's got the experience, got the pedigree, got the versatility. The only red flag I see is that I heard that his kids were still in Minnesota even when he was in Buffalo going oh, to school, wow. I guess. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's changed, but I imagine going across the border would make that even more difficult if there is separation there. So how bad as a father do you want to extend that separation? Like how driven are you going to be to be like, okay, let's go another two months this season and be away from my kids for another two months. Like, I, and, I, and that's like, he can't, the kids can't even get over the border now probably um, because uh, of the obvious issues going on with COVID-19. So that's one thing that kind of sketched me out about anyone buying Eric Stahl. Um, but again, I think you, you got to take that shot and uh, certainly the seven day quarantine now uh helps matters uh do you think that deal would have been made if it was still a 14 day quarantine period i think it would have been done earlier but uh, i absolutely agree that a seven day quarantine helps matters uh as of as i understand he got into montreal yesterday so the quarantine Mm -hmm. i guess should have started then so by next weekend he should be made available and even then uh, once he gets to practicing, he'll probably need a bit more time before he's available back in the lineup. But considering how the deadline is now, uh, this particular period of time is the ideal time for Canadian teams to kind of get into it. And I think Mark Bergevin realizing that, you know what, there's a way for this deal to be done where it doesn't totally brutalize my salary cap while also uh, getting a player who doesn't have to quarantine as long as it was previously earlier this week before the rate for the rules change that definitely had to have enticed him a little bit. Seven days versus 14 days, especially in the season like what they've had now where they lost a week due to COVID. Uh, all these other teams, I mean, pretty considering the fact that they had COVID kind of wrecked through their team, the fact that the Calgary, the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks did not make up ground on them 
pretty mm-hmm. good for the Montreal Canadiens. I will add that there. But I, I think it's, it was a pretty – not necessarily perfect, but I think a pretty ideal situation for Mark Bergevin to kind of make this trade considering everything that was going on. No quarantine was required, at least no lengthy quarantine was required for Daryl Sutter, but Johnny Gaudreau might wish that he had a couple more days away from the new Calgary Flames head coach. Uh, We are on the heels of one of the most hilarious biting remarks in NHL history, honestly. I mean, Daryl Sutter took an absolute softball question, asked, uh, you know, basically anything, say anything you want that's nice about Johnny Gaudreau, who's about to play in his 500th game because we have this very basic pregame report where we just want to tell fans that this good thing is happening with one of our star players. Maybe it was a team employee that asked it. I'm not actually sure who asked the question, but it was just an opportunity for Daryl Sutter to say something nice about the most important player or the most important forward, at least, with the Calgary Flames. And he absolutely took the opportunity to hammer Gaudreau Uh, and his performance from one night earlier. After having the opportunity to sleep on it, he was still just absolutely stewing over the performance of Johnny Gaudreau. It was an incredible remark. He basically said that uh, when asked about the 500th game, he just said, I hope he has more energy than he had in his 499th game. Uh, And I guess we got a response from Gaudreau, both from a performance standpoint and with what he said on the mic. Uh, he got an assist, a primary assist on the power play, but didn't really do too much in the Calgary Flames 4-2 victory over the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night. Uh, But he did come out afterwards and say that he heard it and it doesn't really bother him. He knows when he plays bad. He knows when he plays good. He's known that for almost 25 years, which made me realize how old Johnny Gaudreau is. Surprisingly, he's almost 28, which I didn't think uh, was the case. He's really young. He's really young. Well, no. I mean, mean, he's young, but he's... I, yeah. I thought he'd be, I thought he was like 25, but he's 27 That's turning fair. 28. Anyway, he's been playing hockey for over 20 years. He knows when he plays good. He knows when he plays bad, and he's not going to take it too uh, offensively or, or take it to heart um, what his coach said about him. But I don't know. This kind of makes me feel like the Daryl Sutter versus Johnny Gaudreau rivalry could take on multiple parts. What say you? Like, I... It's such an unnecessary thing for for Daryl Sutter to say because it's essentially going to create what we're going to lead into now, which is people are going to wonder, oh, well, is how is Daryl Sutter meshing with all of those players in Calgary? Uh, and I'll get into that more in a second. I'll just say this about Daryl. Thank you for bringing back the word dopey into our lives because I think that was the actual word he used after that after the uh, Goudreau's 499th game. And mm-hmm. then he kind of mentioned them because he didn't mention any players the first time he had to talk about this. He just said that's there were true. A couple, that's a good point. There were a couple dopey players who just kind of cost them the game, and he could have left it there, and we would have all been like, "All right, it's very clear the Calgary Flames didn't play up to snuff." And then he just kind of eviscerates Johnny Goudreau. And, and he could have been a little bit nicer and said, "I hope he's just not as dopey." Like that would at least be kind of funny, and you could connect the dots. But instead, he went in on Goudreau. Like, come on, man! Like that's—I don't know about that. Like. I, I was talking with someone who covers the team pretty closely out in Calgary. And when Daryl Sutter came in in, in relieving Jeff Ward of his duties, it, it seemed as if for that Calgary Flames team, there were a lot of guys on that squad who probably really would have appreciated the disciplinarian tactics of a coach who, who knows who knows better, obviously, in that regard. And I, I imagine Daryl Sutter is able to fit that bill. Like the first practice he had was like a bag skate. But mm-hmm. – 
I am very curious about guys like a Johnny Goudreau, who you kind of rub the wrong way in the media like that, or or even other younger guys, like a, maybe like a Sean Monahan, or, or wonder how Sam Bennett is feeling. About. Like, I, I know a lot of people like to think of like the older school guys versus the newer school players and how they mesh. When you see a guy like Daryl Sutter, kind of, you know, we know him from, from the runs that he's had in years past to mesh with some of the newer players now, like, I have to wonder, like, what's it like for those guys? Like, fine, you need discipline to a certain point, but, like, with the team that you have now and where there are in the standings, like, is that how many of those? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Those players really feel that's a that's a fit. And I think because of what Daryl Sutter did, even if like some people might kind of interpret it as him just trying to get a rise out of the player for him to just be like, you know what, let's just get him going. And maybe Johnny Goudreau publicly to us really isn't bothered that much by it. Mm -hmm. But I am curious, like how other players on the Calgary Flames really kind of vibe with Daryl Sutter. And I think that's just going to be a question that's just going to kind of pop up every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I think the easy way to take this story is to ask if Sutter is the right man for the job in Calgary, both in the, you know, in this immediate term in which he was brought in to sort of fix things and it hasn't gone very well, and in the long term, because Johnny Gaudreau, we've already been talking about his future quietly for it seems like a pretty long time. Um, but so you have, you have to weigh his actual abilities with this roster and with this group. Does his skill set, his being Daryl Sutter's skill set, match what the Calgary Flames have. And no, these aren't the Calgary these aren't the Los Angeles Kings of 2012. Like this is a different team. So is his influence going to work with this team? But also is it already going to fall on deaf ears because he's coming in hot obviously. And that's I think the only way he knows how to come in is hot. But he's, you know, the bag skating, the criticisms of the star players, the changes to the structure like hey, we're not even going to play high event fun hockey anymore. Like that's over. Uh, get used to having one scoring chance per game, and I hope you put it in the back of the net because that's the only way you're going to leave the rink happy tonight. Like it, it's sort of, it, it's a different world, and are these guys going to get used to it? It's easy to accept that different world if you're winning, but the Calgary Flames don't seem like they're equipped to win right now. So if you have this start with Sutter, he usually you know he does his influence is usually immediate and positive, and it's not right now. Uh, how quickly are they going to sour on this, and how quickly is Johnny Gaudreau? who doesn't seem like his roots are firmly planted in Calgary, how long until that starts to separate a little bit more just because he's not playing the way he wants to play, he's not maybe treated the way he wants to be treated, and so on and so forth. Like I think you have to ask about Sutter again already after 
Treleving may have you just used his final bullet. Like this is sixth coach, I think, in under his tenure. Like is it, that it's much? nothing. Oh, nothing seems right there. It just it, it, it's a, a foreboding feeling. Everything that's going on with the Flames, and I don't think as innocent and as funny and as uh, like not a big deal this really is. I just think it foreshadows, and it, it it's it's that foreshadow feeling or foreshadowing feeling uh, just has me a little bit uneasy. And, and if the Flames continue to lose games and, and fall further out of that playoff race, then you're really going to see more warts. Winning cures everything. And, I mean, I'm sure if you go back to some of those L.A. Kings days and you talk to some of those guys there, they might have some stories on, 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 uh, on Daryl Sutter, on how he is as a person, and how he might not necessarily be the most ideal person to deal with. You should probably check out Daniel Carcillo's Twitter. But those LA Kings could always say they won games. They mm-hmm. have won Stanley Cups under Daryl Sutter. And winning at the end of the day, even if you're going into war with guys you might not like or guys who just might annoy you, at the end of the day, it kind of just kind of smooths over a few things as opposed to a team like the Calgary Flames, which fine, they still have a chance at, at making the playoffs if the Montreal Canadiens kind of fall back. But this was a big week for them, and, and they didn't really gain that much ground. Mm-hmm. So I think if the Flames continue to kind of pitter-patter around and, and ultimately miss the playoffs, by the way, this is a Flames team that a lot of people, and, and I'll even add myself to this, a lot of people thought they were they were going to be a playoff team this year. Oh, they yeah. had the expectations with Jeff Ford and what he was able to do with them last year, and 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 they have capable players. They, they should be a playoff team, especially in this division where you know Vancouver took a step back, the Ottawa Senators also as well. I, I'm very surprised at how well the Edmonton Oilers have done considering that we, we look at them as a two-man team and everyone else kind of has to follow. Uh, and people still have doubts on the Montreal Canadiens. This was a division that the Calgary Flames, I mean, they should be 2-3. Like a lot of people thought they'd be a 2-3 team, but they might be five. And depending on how the mm-hmm. Canucks play, they might be six. Like this is not an ideal situation for the Calgary Flames at all. And if the continu- if the team continues to kind of just – play uninspired continues to play uninspired hockey over the next few weeks i'm I'm almost i'm maybe not going to guarantee it but i think we're going to see more warts under daryl sutter and we're going to continue to question him whether he's the man for the job for this team as you said like i i think more questions are just going to start to come and i think that conference that i think that comment about johnny goudreau that's ultimately going to be an entry point into people kind of dissecting daryl sutter and his relationship with this current roster and how do the rest of the teammates feel about the comments? Uh, uh, this isn't like, uh, this is probably closer to apples and oranges than apples to apples, but I don't think there was a great response. I don't think Mike Babcock got a great response from the rest of the Toronto Maple Leafs when he embarrassed Jason Spezza the way he did at the beginning of what was last season. Uh, and this is sort of the, under the same you know vein where it's, you're embarrassing the star player when this should be an opportunity to celebrate this star player, even though it didn't go that great the night previous. But that's the day, you know, the day is flipped to the next day. And you have your opportunity to say something nice about a guy who's actually, you know, uh, hitting a legitimate milestone. And how do the rest of the teammates in the organization feel about you taking a shot at him uh, when it didn't have to happen? I, I don't know. I just, again... It's not the same makeup. Uh, I mean, we've seen so many so many teams turn around with the introduction of a new coach, but few teams play have to play a completely different style after they've done that, and a style that maybe doesn't isn't compatible with how they're constructed. Uh, so, I mean, again, it's just all these things to consider with uh, the future of the Flames with Daryl Sutter. 
Uh, so after the most hilarious biting remark I think I've heard in a long time, we have another superlative, which is the best reaction to an overtime loss of the season, at least. It was Pierre Dorian throwing some liquid. I don't know if it was water, coffee, Gatorade. I'm not sure what it was. I'm glad it wasn't Brian Burke and he didn't have a spit cup in front of him because that would have been gross. But Pierre Dorian chucking whatever drink he had in front of him after Justin Hall scored in overtime for the Maple Leafs to beat the Senators on Thursday night provided the best gif of the season and one of the funniest nights on Twitter this season because it was so funny and so hilarious <laughs> and so perfect uh, that Pierre Dorian, you know, he's got an arm on him, but uh, it, it was uh, probably a regrettable moment for him. I would love to... <laughs> I want to see that gif again because I think it was hilarious to see live, to see Pierre Dorion get so upset that he just chucks a drink in, in, the, uh, in, the, own, in the box there. Uh, and I mean, you know what? I don't fault him for that. I know a few people are like, wow, like that's a bit over the top. But the Ottawa Senators have been able to get a couple shots in at the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's your hated in-province rival. Your team's on a three-on-one. Thomas Shabbat tries to make this pass. And Austin Matthews, of all people, blocks that pass, keeps the mm -hmm. puck in the offensive zone, and it leads to a game-winning goal. Like, that's that's something where you're, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, you're like, oh, that's so frustrating. So I think it's kind of cool that Pierre Dorian, you know, maybe kind of felt like a fan in that moment and said, you know, like, damn it, like, how could we lose that game? Because otherwise, if that play went to went to form, that might have ended up being an overtime winner for the Ottawa Senators. But for the mm -hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, they get the win in the end. I like that reaction from Pierre Dorian because it's entertaining for us. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, someone added uh, the Pierre Dorian throw to the video of Joe Biden oh, walking uh, up Air Force One. It is incredible editing. It's one of the better edits you'll see in yeah. the year of our Lord 2021. Uh, and I, I very much enjoyed that meme. I very much enjoy uh, how long we're, I mean, goodness gracious, Pierre Dorian, pretty much from the beginning to the end of his tenure, he starts off with the whole interview on Sportsnet where he gets asked about his team and he just takes a second. He's like, we're a team. And then like, I mean, I don't know what his future is going to be at the end of the year, but like if, if it gets to that point where that's like the last memeable thing, like, damn, Pierre Dorian has been able to give us some gold, man. But like, I, <laughs> I thought, I thought like that reaction, pure, under, like pure genuine reaction from him. My, I'll, I'll add this too. I hope that it was not a problem to clean up whatever drink he messed up. Cause we all know who his owner is. And like, I look, I just hope there were people in the arena around to clean it up. Like just, you know, we all know how we all know who his owner is and all that. But uh, look, I don't have a problem with the reaction. I like the meme. I like I like how hilarious it is. I can't wait to see how creative hockey Twitter is gonna be with it. I don't know. Maybe maybe Omar from Zone Time has already got gifts lined up that he wants to put up with this dude. Like I thought it was hilarious. It's one of the funniest things you'll see all year. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like was the color of the liquid. I don't know. I just don't know what he was drinking. Like I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know what he was sipping on and that's the only thing that bothers me about it. I I like that you gave credit to Dorian because he could be at the point where he's just patting himself on the back a little bit. Like it not that Ottawa's playing really well, not that Ottawa's overachieving, not that Ottawa's playing, you know, free roll at the table right now. But Ottawa's doing what they were supposed to do this year, which was make life miserable for other teams that are supposed to beat you. Mm. With the exception of the Edmonton Oilers, they've played really, really well this year. They've lost every game against Edmonton. They've been very competitive and actually have a winning record, I think, against everyone else. So the fact that he cares this much when 
Clearly, they're not making the playoffs this season, but clearly they're doing what they're supposed to do this year, and he probably has all the backing in the world because what he's done has been positive. Like, we're seeing good things from Tim Stutzla. Brady Kachuk is turning into the captain that they envisioned, and they rolled the dice with Brady Kachuk in that number four pick overall back then. Um, but all these little other things, like Josh Norris looks like he's going to be a player, steps from Batherson, like even guys like Zub, like there's there's good things that are happening in Ottawa right now. And, but those good things don't mean that they have to win every game because it, that's not a thing right now. They're not in any race. But for Dorian to care that much still and to get that angry because they didn't get the W, they you know he could be happy with just giving the Munch or the Toronto Maple Leafs fits, and yet he still wants that victory. And I gotta give him at least a little bit of applause for that. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're Pierre Dorian, you've had to stick through a team that's been losing and and just not been good the better part of the last little while like after a while all that losing and and joking and all that like i get it where the ottawa senators are in a season where you know i said at the beginning at earlier this year they're supposed to just be chill they're just be like they're just kind of there they're, yes you're right they make uh, make other teams lives miserable they're not gonna do anything but if you go through that after so long like that pent-up frustration is going to get to you at some point right like Pierre Dorian, that that reaction of him throwing that drink, I, I'm guessing it's like a passion tea lemonade or something. Or like, maybe mm. not an Earl. That's not an Earl Grey color, but like, it's definitely it definitely wasn't coffee. It didn't look like a coffee. No, no, and it's, it's probably it's like weird colored water. Again, I don't think we're ever gonna find out. I'm just oh. happy, or at least Pierre Dorian should just be happy. I guess I would kind of find it funny, but if he had a hot mic on in that moment then we really would have had something. <laughs> I don't think the league would have suspended him for that either. No, I don't think you can uh, <laughs> I don't think you can do that. Um, that's it for us, I think. We've gone through our topics, we've gone through our uh, praise of one another. So I think we can move forward and, and uh, tackle this next week ahead of us until next weekend, Julian. Yeah, who sports um, hockey podcast? Yeah, you'll um, have you want a little more zone time? You want to you want to pump up zone time a little more? I, mean, I guess I controlled that, right? I mean, zone time pumps that too, but uh, and I guess you could edit it out uh, if I'm actually wrong, but I think this is our producer's last episode, Benji Agbeke, right? Am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong, Benji. He, I don't know if he's ready to pop in. I think you're right, though. I think, I think you're so. right, and and, and and that shouldn't be overlooked. Is he, is he oh, saying something? Is that, that his is voice? Confirmed. That is confirmed. <laughs> Oh my God, it's the voice of God. I just wanted to just take the time to just be like, yo, dude, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to work with you over these last few weeks. I just wanted to shout you out, man. I know you've been able to do some great content on your own time and uh, we wish you nothing but the best and whatever's next, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a a blessing to be able to work with you both. And uh, yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch for the future. Yeah, we're losing Ben, but he's going to be off to bigger and better things as always. I mean, uh, we, we pumped up his uh, feature with Wayne Simmons a couple weeks ago. It's, he's just going to be churning out that good content soon enough. Uh, and uh, we're going to miss him here. Uh, but we're going to move forward with Chelsea, who's going to have to come yeah. on at some point now that we've had yeah. Ben on. So uh, from Ben to Chelsea, but Ben, we definitely do appreciate uh, everything you've done for this show and everything you've done at Yahoo Sports. Uh, it was a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Oh, he's back. Okay. We'll leave it there. (laughs) Julian, Ben, Chelsea, thanks very much for uh, another week. And uh, listeners, we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.